Welcome back, listeners, to a brand new episode of The New Standard. And always, I have my partner in crime to my left. What's up, Big Neil? Gorgeous day, Lance. We are in the home stretch before the 2023 NFL draft. And I will promise you I will do my best to not make the formal declaration the way most broadcasters do and having to always announce it as the 2023 NFL draft. That's annoying. We can just call it the draft. We'll call it the draft. The Steelers are picking 17 overall. A lot of rumors floating around about where they might might trade up, which of their three top 50 picks are in play for them. Perhaps they're going to use it to dangle uh, to acquire some more capital or maybe even move up for a player that uh, they need. Pay attention, Dan Less. You are on the clock as much as anybody else is. We're going to get into all of that with <laughs> our good friend, Luke Easterling of Athlon Sports. He's going to come on here uh, about uh, half an hour or so. As soon as Luke, or, uh, as soon as Lance gives me the link, um, <laughs> we'll get it to Luke. We'll see where he is. You know what? Um, you're crazy. You're crazy, Neil, because you have pet peeves, these weird pet peeves like I do. Uh, when you said that the 2023, I have pet peeves like that too. One of my pet peeves, and we're going to jump into the show, I promise, is I hate when people say the game of basketball, yeah, the game of that's football. Like, that that That's terrible. I hate You're that. You're in the National Football League or, <laughs> yeah. or the NFL. Yeah, I mean, like, I, 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 the game of, in the game of basketball. But anyway, those are just your hosts. Uh, crazy pet peeves but with that if you always want to participate in the program and big up to everybody that's on the live chat right now thank you and big up to everybody who sent me a mock we are going to jump into some of those mocks with with luke and neil and myself as well we'll jump into those you can catch the show the new standard at youtube do a search for the new standard and lance williams big up to my homegirl sultana big up to you and congratulations on i believe 30 years uh, being a member of Delta Sigma Theta. Big up to my little sis, Sultana. Big up to you. And last but not least, if you want to catch it on podcast, just make sure however you get your podcast, do a search for The New Standard and Lance Williams. Let's jump right into it, Neil. Last year, I don't know if you guys were listening to the show. We did a show, basically boards versus buckets. And as we get into this, Neil, this is one of my most favorite topics. Neil, why don't you break it down, Neil, for us, the difference between boards versus buckets. When I say boards, I mean, typically when you see websites, you see this linear draft board, this vertical draft board, player one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. But you did a great job last year in explaining the difference between boards versus buckets. I want you to bring that back. And also, I want to thank you for sending me that graphic. I wish I could post it here. There was a nice graphic, and I may be able, if you can, if you have a link to the graphic, Neil, send it to me. I'm going to put a link so we can show the graphic of what buckets look like. But quickly, break down boards versus buckets. Boards versus buckets. What we're really talking about here is organization. When you are trying to come to a decision, the most information that you can get is, is what you want. But when you get all of that, how you filter it down is ultimately what leads to your decision. 
a lot of this is kind of rooted in logic and, and this is kind of how computer science works. But the idea is when you have, say, 30 people, simple number, 30 people involved in evaluating um, the players who are available, contributing to the overall organizational philosophy uh, for, for what they want in a player, what the team's needs are this year, two years, three years, four years, you have a lot of checkpoints that qualify and disqualify certain players. It is not a simple process, but the idea of creating one vertical board in which 300 players are ranked doesn't lead you to a decision because you can't really say why player ranked number 13 is any better than why player than, than player ranked 25. And that gets even harder the deeper into the board that you go. What is the reason why this player is rated higher than that player? They're not the, I feel the best way to describe this is the Pittsburgh Steelers are not drafting for the NFL. Okay. Your typical mock drafters. I employ them. I was one. I read these things constantly. I love mock drafts. I'm not trying to, to rip on uh, the, the effort that goes into them because there's a, a, a skill. It's just not the same as what teams are doing because teams are drafting for themselves. They're drafting one out of 32 in a, in a normal round, 32 picks, one player with one pick. There you go. That's awesome. Um, when you are doing a mock draft, you are essentially drafting for every team in the league. And you, that means your focus is on the players who are available and where you feel they rank in comparison to other players in the draft. That's not how you do it if you're a team. You are drafting based on your specific needs, the direction that you want to go in as a team, where you are financially, what you feel that you can do with the, the players that you currently have as far as uh, extensions, whether you want them long-term. There are a lot of things that teams have to evaluate that your average mock drafter doesn't. All they're doing is lining them up based on what they think is the better of two, three players. The team that's on the clock might not be evaluating those three players at all. They might not care because it doesn't really matter. That philosophy works for maybe the first couple picks, but here's another wrinkle to all of this is when you, when teams evaluate the eligible draft players, their philosophy is what determines what round they would take a player in. Your average mock drafter has to have 32 players in the first round, right? When you're a team that's only drafting one player in a round, technically, they only need one player. So they're not going to go out of their way to determine who the first 32 players are going to be. It doesn't make a difference to them. What they're evaluating is how they would want to invest. Player in a first-round pick, it's, it is literally as simple as this. A player that meets the first-round grade criteria for Team X is this at these positions, it's this size, it's this weight, it's this kind of character reference, it's this level of experience at this level of a school. All of these things come into play. Therefore, there are not even close to 32 players that meet their first-round criteria in a draft. In fact, what I'm hearing right now is a lot of teams don't even have 20 in, in, in this particular class. A really strong class typically would be a team would have 23 or 24. They usually don't. So when you know all of that, 
you don't have any value in lining them up vertically. What you need to do is bracket them uh, with the traits that meet certain rounds and then evaluate that based on your team needs. Okay. We can take the Steelers. This is my opinion. I'm not speaking for the Steelers um, because usually a team isn't drafting to fill an immediate need right away. They're looking at it three, four, five years down the line. They got to get him in. They got to coach him. Okay. College players, as much as we love the college game, as polished as the players are at the college level, they're usually not very good pros. That isn't to say that there are not a couple rookies that do really well uh, when they come into the league, but there are a lot of guys drafted. 98% of them suck when they're rookies. They have to be developed. They have to be coached. Uh, and the, the ones who are successful largely are set up for that success. They're not necessarily uh, players that are, are going to be plug and play. Some have to be, but that doesn't mean that they're going to be particularly good. The Steelers have, I feel, a need at left tackle. They are not looking at the prospects of the draft and saying, because we need a left tackle, therefore we value the left tackle higher than everybody else. What they're saying is left tackle is a position that we want to invest a premium pick in. So who fits the criteria that we have for a first-round pick among a tackle? In other words, what does this class, these players, what do they have that meets our criteria for a first-round grade? They might not have any. There might not be any available. And if there aren't, they're not drafting a tackle in the first round. Okay? When you have a vertical board, the logic says you take the, the highest-rated tackle that's there. That's not how teams do things. When you have a bucket and you took it down, Lance, just before I was getting into it, <clears throat> Um, a, a bucket mentality says our philosophy comes first. So there is the, the possibility, if not the probability, none of the players who are available to draft meet the criteria of what we want in a first round pick at this position of the ones that do though, they're going to be lined up with each other without saying one over the other necessarily who meets a round criteria that we have. Okay, let's say that there's two of them at three positions that we want to prioritize this year. So there are six prospects that they're going to look at uh, within the round. When they're on the clock, usually the decision is right in front of them, and it comes down to who's, who's making the final call on this. There might be only one guy. There might be none at that point. Um, a first-round bucket means these are players that met this team's first-round grade if they meet that bucket. They don't always because, like I said earlier, you might have a class in which you objectively objectively evaluated them and found that there were only 19 of them. Now, if you're picking 20th, logically, you're not going to take a guy that you have a first-round grade on. Steelers have done that a lot. What teams tend to do is they create uh, the, the next bucket down the line would be something called like 1A or 1 plus or something to that regard to separate it from what a true first round grade would have, but a guy who you would take at the back end of the first round, if there aren't any other first round grades available, they're better than a second round grade, but they're not, they don't fit the philosophy of a first round grade. Uh, the Steelers have taken a lot of guys like that. I know for fact, that's where they had TJ Watt. That's where they had Bud Dupree. That's where they had Artie Burns. The, the decision came to them because these players were who was left and they were, they were not given first round grades by the Steelers for a variety of reasons. 
Um, I, I'm not saying that's bad. Just not all of them fit. Uh, some of it is experience. TJ Watt didn't play a whole lot in college, so they, they wouldn't consider that to be a first-round trade. Um, it happens. Uh, what this graphic is doing is it, it, this is from uh, 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 Jack Dufflin on Twitter. If you want to follow him, I think he's English, but he's a big Browns fan. I know we can hold that against him, but he understands data management and organization to a very high level. And he has insight within uh, the working operations of an NFL team. What he came up with in this graphic is as close to what I have seen uh, from NFL teams and how they organize uh, their evaluations. What he's doing is he's taking the players with the traits that he knows the Browns are looking for and create kind of reverse engineering the process and saying, these guys fit in these buckets and they have these traits. So it gives the, the user a really good snapshot of the players that they are serious about in each of these rounds. Notice how it doesn't suggest in here the players with a third round grade are worse than a player with a second round grade, which if you think of it logically, a lot of players who are out there, they kind of come together in the middle uh, to, to form a pretty wide group. What this is doing is it emphasizes um, the, the team's philosophy. They're saying this makes a third round grade. This makes a second round grade. Either of those things, it's not a negative. It just means we're going to focus on this in this round. This is the type of player that we expect to get in the third round. I know for fact, a great example, uh, people probably remember Ross Cockrell with the Steelers. Ross Cockrell was a player the Steelers had a, a fourth round grade on. And I talked to Ross about this because I remember watching him. I liked his game a lot. I wasn't sure how high he would go, but he looked like a, a, a solid potential pro. He said the Steelers called him like 10 times. They were all over him. And Cockrell said he got the idea like they were really interested, like he might go in the first round. And he eventually asked whoever he was talking to. He didn't tell me who it was, but he eventually asked, where do you see me going? And the guy said, oh, we got you in the fourth round. And, and Ross like laughed. He was like, geez, these guys are gassing me up like crazy here. They're telling me I'm a fourth round pick. He went in the late third. The Steelers were going to take him in the fourth round. The Bills jumped ahead of him and took him. The second that the Bills cut him, though, which was due to a coaching change and a, a, a schematic change, the Steelers were the first people on the phone. And, and Cockrell started like two weeks later. He was a player that met their philosophy for what they would evaluate for a fourth round pick. That did not mean they weren't interested in him. When you line them up vertically, you don't get to make that decision. You are, are a slave to a very thin, shallow uh, level of, of projection. When you have buckets like this one, what you are able to do is – Lance, you got us all switched around now. What you're able to do is draw from your philosophy and, and then uh, organize it to a point you can make very simple decisions. Instead of your fantasy football draft, which you go through one at a time and cross them out, that doesn't give you the sense of what you need, what you're looking for as an organization. And it's very important uh, to organize it in such a fashion so you are drafting the players who best fit everything that you need, which is not just the talent of the player. Character is involved. Athletic traits are involved. Injuries, um, experience, coachability, character. You put all those things together, you get a better sense of where you would want to draft what player. And you can also change the element of where you're trying to go for the future of, of your organization. Simply put, this is what teams do. They don't keep 
a 300-player a, a big board as any reason other than these are the names of people we've looked at. You have to break it down much deeper than that if you're going to make a, a quality decision, which is the most important decision every year a team is going to make. You know, it's interesting that you say that, and I'm glad that you broke it down so succinctly that it's nice to peel it back and get a lens, you know, under, you know, behind the curtain to see how it's done because clearly teams prioritize time and you just don't have time to do it like, and it's not efficient. You don't have the time and it's not efficient to do it like we, we see it on uh, consumable products like the athletic or ESPN or so on and so forth, but they do serve their purpose because for us, and many of us that, you know, don't watch a ton of college football and are not scouts, it gives us a basic backdrop of the players who are going to qualify for the draft, which is a good thing. Yeah, I mean, it gives definitely. us physical traits and that type stuff. And, you know, it, it, it's a good thing. There's another thing out there called the value chart. And that's a thing that always floats around as well during this time. And the value chart in a draft is simply – there is a number associated with a pick in the draft. So, for instance, uh, let's say the first overall pick is worth 5,000 points. And what's always floated around the draft chart is to try to figure out a logical way in which you can do trades so the value of the trade is relatively even. So, for instance, let's say – you the second overall pick in the draft was worth 4,000 and you wanted to get the second pick. And let's say you had like pick 20, which was worth, you know, 2000 and you had pick 78, which is worth, and I'm just throwing around oh, these weird numbers, a thousand. Then you had another couple picks worth 500. You add all those up. If they equal what that second round pick, that second overall pick is you trade those four players. It lines up. Bing, 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 <coughs> you can do the trade. The NFL value trade chart kind of works kind of really good for, you know, when you're not in the process to give you kind of a bit of a structure on how it may work. And I've always been told that some teams use the value chart, some teams don't. What's your knowledge in terms of the Steelers? Do the Steelers use the chart? Is it something that they 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 reference? Do they kind of have their own value in terms of how they assign uh, a value to picks and what they kind of think they should get for a pick if they give up a pick? Because I asked this because my next question is, what do you think the Steelers are going to do with that 32nd pick? Because there's a lot being said that the Steelers are going to aggressively move up and leverage that 32nd pick to kind of leverage it with the Bears and try to move up and possibly select Paris Johnson. What's your thoughts on all that? An excellent question. One that, you know, we probably planned ahead of time. But uh, <laughs> I, I posted a link to this in the chat. Unfortunately, it doesn't link out very easily for you. But um, Jason Fitzgerald and Brad Spielberger, two guys that uh, Jason built uh, over the cap, an excellent uh, NFL resource in, in terms of salary cap information. Uh, Brad, uh, it, somebody I've, I've been familiar with for a while. I've talked with him many times, a Minnesota guy. Um, they have both worked within NFL front offices before, and they have great insight into how all this works, and they are both very uh, high-level mathematical people. They put together a more modernized version of 
what's typically called the trade value chart. What that does, as Lance explained, is it gives value in, in a numerical way to each pick of the draft. The idea is to show, based on history and, and to some degree, and this is where the old chart needs to be updated, um, financial value. Because now rookies are, are paid in a slotting system. They're worth a, a predetermined amount. We know that. So the value level uh, changes quite a bit. Back in the day, the top pick got like the third highest contract in the game uh, the second that they signed. That's not the case anymore. So it's not that that pick isn't valuable. Um, it, it's a lot probably financially, it's a lot more valuable now because they're paying still half as much as Sam Bradford got in the last year before the rookie wage scale. So, uh, this chart is giving you a numerical value and the idea is it's really simple. It's a sum based thing. You add up, uh, the picks involved in the trade. And from there, it's giving you a sense of what each team is going to get from that trade whether or not a team finds that to be acceptable, whatever, uh, if, if it's you know dead on equal, if there's a gap one way or another, it's a way for both teams to evaluate at the same level uh, what they would be getting uh, hypothetically in the event of a trade. Now, the interesting thing here, and uh, we've heard the rumors, let's address that first and foremost. I've heard this, uh, I, I, truthfully, I heard this a month ago from somebody uh, close to the Bears uh, the Steelers and the Bears were in conversations about uh, some type of, of swap for uh, 17 and 9. That First off, teams, uh, they have those conversations with everybody. It's only strategy. It, it, you know, most of them obviously don't ever uh, come down to it. But what they're doing is kind of evaluating, if this happens, what do we do? What's our reaction to it? Um, what that would represent a trade between another one, in fact, between uh, Chicago and Pittsburgh, it would represent, I, and I don't know this factually, it would represent the Steelers wanting to be aggressive for a player that they feel uh, would be available at nine. In the event that player is available at nine, that's the spot the Steelers feel they would give up the least to move up to get. I don't think it's a coincidence that if you look at this chart, uh, the ninth pick, uh, 1887, that's the point value for the ninth pick, uh, is very close to the point value of 17, which is 1564, plus uh, it, it, 1028, which is the value of uh, the, the 49th pick. From there, I'm not saying it's a straight-up swap. They'll add in picks to, to maybe get that number closer. The bulk of that deal, though, clearly is the Steelers giving 17 and 49 to move up for the ninth pick and then add in everything else to, to equalize the numbers a little bit more. To me, that suggests the rumor is legitimate, that they are discussing that and both sides should take it seriously because it looks like it's beneficial for both of them. Um, for the Bears, they get a second round pick back. We have their second round pick right now, 32 overall, and probably another pick on top of that somewhere, wherever they would ne negotiate. Maybe it's one of their sevenths this year. Maybe it's the, the fifth round pick the Steelers hate so much um, next year. They still have that. They're going to get rid of that as quickly as they can. Uh, it, it, it equalizes the trade out a little bit to the point where this really does kind of make sense for both teams. The question for Pittsburgh would be, who would they want to move up to get? If we look at it again, and you if, if you have watched the show for any amount of time, you have heard us express – some consternation with Steelers left tackle Dan Moore slash less. Um, we don't feel 
Dan Moore uh, is a, 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 a core player. He's not a guy that, that probably should be starting. Um, Paris Johnson is a name that has been bandied around as far as being available at nine for Chicago. He's usually mocked to Chicago at nine. Maybe Chicago doesn't like him all that much. Maybe they're not into him. They might be more interested in adding more picks and finding a tackle at, at some later point in the draft, um, maybe at 17, maybe at 49. Uh, but they feel that there's more value coming to them by giving the Steelers the opportunity to take uh, you know, whoever would be there at nine. Paris Johnson being one of them. Paris Johnson being the, the big left tackle from Ohio State. Um, most people seem to, to consider him the top tackle prospect in this draft. Second, maybe third at the most. He's, he's probably going to be taken in the top 10. That, that'd be a solid bet. Um, the Steelers have a need for a left tackle who could play immediately. I don't, to be honest with you, I don't know if Paris Johnson is going to be very good coming out of college. Uh, he has a lot more upside than Dan Moore does, and he, he would be more of a foundational player. Let's add this, though, Lance. This is the key thing to remember with this trade because everyone's thinking you have three top 50 picks. That's great. Uh, amass this talent. Get building on this foundation for the future. Let's keep in mind, Kenny Pickett, first-round pick, has four year, three cheap years until his 50-year option right now. That would be four years from now. Four years from now would be when you need to, to pay or let walk your two second round picks from the 2023 draft. And your first round pick is in an extension situation as well. Do you want to pay four big contracts in the same year? I don't think a whole lot of teams really want to do that. Not at all. And if you're the Steelers, think of it like this, because th this, this is the way it is. We can look at this in, in more of a, a, a broader perspective. What this would really mean, trading with Chicago, is you successfully traded 17 overall and 49 overall, your two original picks, for Chicago's two original picks. Nine, or excuse me, not the original pick, but the pick that they eventually got from, from Carolina. You got nine overall and 32 overall. And the only thing that you're giving up in that deal is Chase Claypool. In a vacuum, that's a pretty damn good deal. Who wouldn't do that, right? And I get that, that the value of taking another player in the second round, there, there's a lot to that. And, and if, if you disagree with it, you're not going to be convinced. And I get it. I, I've had this argument with a bunch of people. But it, the big thing to remember here is it's not our money, okay? Art Rooney's got to pay everybody. If you draft a, a second-round player, which is not a, sure, a, a surefire bet by any means, you give up 49 overall to move up to take a player of, I feel, uh, incredible need for their team over the next four seasons. I'll be honest, I'm not big on, on Paris Johnson. I Look, I'm, I'm an unabashed uh, uh, Darnell Wright guy. I, I think Darnell Wright is the better prospect at tackle. Um, he, he can play now. He has just as good a ceiling, I think, uh, and he fits what the Steelers do offensively better. Uh, from the right tackle position than Paris Johnson will from the left. But that doesn't include the problem with Dan Moore. So I can get behind it. Either way, though, that's an incredible value for the Steelers to have flipped that around with two transactions, taken two higher picks, and got rid of a player that they already replaced 
that you don't just stumble across that deal. That's pretty damn good, in my opinion. I'll take that all day. You still have 32 overall. You're still getting two premium players in this draft. You're just getting, a, in their mind, not necessarily mine, but in their mind, a, a, a tackle that they absolutely want and they feel fits better with them than anybody else. Um, you're getting a premium guy at a premium position, and you're still drafting with what used to be another first-round pick in a year that everybody is pushed up front because COVID gave everybody else a year in college. There's an overwhelming amount of mid-level talent in this draft because a lot of these guys should have been drafted last year. They chose to, to stick around, so they're a little bit older, but you have great opportunity in the middle rounds anyway. So 32 overall is not only a second-round pick that should have the logical value of a first-round pick, but you're getting it in a year that there's going to be a large level of talent in that 25 26 pick range down to, to 50. There are going to be more guys that are more pro ready than what we've seen, in my opinion. So if, if that's a legit deal, again, Paris Johnson's not my favorite player, but it makes a hell of a lot of sense to get that kind of a left tackle in the door. Highest, I, I believe it'd be the highest tackle they've ever drafted. And yeah, I think so. Um, it, it, I'm, I'm probably going to, you know, get shot down by a lot of people here. He's not the, the prospect that I would choose at nine, my opinion. I get why you want one, but I don't think the difference between Johnson and somebody who's going to be available at 32 is all that high. For me, if it's like a Christian Gonzalez, if somehow the, the cornerback from, from Oregon is on the board at nine, I'd, I'd be ecstatic with that deal. Because what you're talking about then is – I'm going to say this a lot, 17 and 49 for nine and 32 in Chase Claypool. You can't possibly get a better deal. That's just robbery. You know, it's funny when you say Chase Claypool, because, (laughs) you know, you know, like when you just just in your basic interactions every day, you do a deal with somebody, you buy something from somebody, you get it. And it's like, this guy told me it was it did this, but it doesn't do this. It's hilarious that the Bears and the Steelers are in, still in conversations about this transaction, exactly. given the fact the, that the they got Chase Claypool. Bears are going to take. That's, yeah, it's like Chase Claypool had fourteen catches in seven games for the Bears, <laughs> and they <laughs> that's still, who the Steelers lost in yes. upgrading both of their first and second round picks. <laughs> <laughs> and they and they still want to do incredible. business with with the Steelers, but the, let's that, bring... honestly, that's why I don't think that it's going to happen. I, I from a PR perspective, the Bears would want to deal with anybody other than the Steelers because they took their draft. I mean, they yeah. they're the worst team in football. They're able to to get a lot of it back with the trade with with Carolina. So I'm not ripping Ryan Poles, who's got a, a, a tall task ahead of him in building that team. But at the same time, you you. I don't think you want to put two separate transactions with the same team to take your high level uh, draft capital and what you, what you gained out of it was Claypool and then the, the throwaway picks that they'll put in there. That just, it just doesn't make it look very good. And it wouldn't surprise yeah. me if they don't do the deal because of that. Yeah. That, that's, that's like uh, when a guy introduces you to 
uh, a young lady and it doesn't work out, you're not taking his recommendations the next time. Like nobody, sorry about that. Don't introduce me to the next one. But with that, we're going to transition and bring on special guest to the program, Luke Easterling. What's up, Luke? How are you? Doing great, guys. How are you? We are doing fantastic, Luke. We wanted to bring Luke in because Luke is a resident draft expert. Now, Luke, let me get it right. You're at Athlon Sports, correct? That is correct. And uh, make sure before we get out of here, you share your social and everything with um, the listeners and fans so everybody can chime in um, and, and interact with your content. We brought you on, Luke, because we want to jump into your mind. And um, first of all, um, you heard us talking about the rumor of the transaction possibly uh, with the Bears and the Steelers uh, moving up to possibly get to number nine. What are you hearing about that? I mean, I'll, I'll preface this right away. I'm not a hearing guy. Um, that's that's not really my game. I'm not a uh, like I'm not that. a sor- I'm not a sources dude. I'm not a uh, <laughs> NFC scout. Told me this. Uh, that's not that's not my game. Um, so um, I don't I don't know about any sort of actual breadcrumbs with that. What I try to do is, you know, if that were the case, if they are talking, what does it mean for both teams? How would it work out? Does it make sense? I try to I try to stay in the realm of that sort of thing. So, I mean, listening to what you guys just said, that's really the only caveat I would have to those discussions is is you know <laughs> Ryan Poles going back to Steelers and be like, nah, 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 nah. not you're not going to get me again. Fool me once, shame pulling, on you. Pulling the trigger though with that kind of overhanging <clears throat> uh, situation, it, teams that'll be a factor in in teams making a decision. Just for argument's sake, yeah. let's say that let's say. Washington has a, a similar offer on the board. If you're Ryan Poles, you're probably going to go with Washington because one, they have a higher pick, but two, right. you get to avoid the trap of saying we downgraded two picks and got Chase Claypool out of it. That's that's not you know. <laughs> I, look, if 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 I'm a Bears reporter and I'm in the press conference the day after the yep. draft and Ryan Poles yep. is up there, that's the first question I'm asking, and that's only if I get the first question because somebody else is going to ask him. You right, can't right. avoid that. You don't necessarily want that. The, the idea, though, that you can build a team through the mass compilation of draft picks is highly, highly debatable. At best, right. it's debatable. Having picks means nothing if you don't draft dudes with those picks. Okay. Yep. In the Steelers' case, this is why I think it makes sense for the Steelers to argue that they need three draft picks in the first 50, it, it's it's kind of hard to argue against the logic of that. I get right. it. But right. when we talk about this financially, let's you have to assume Kenny Pickett is going to be your quarterback. He's due financially in 2027. Same thing with the two second-round picks. And they're entering free agency at that point. You might not have even been able to sign them. Is it worth it right now knowing you probably don't have the capital to pay that many signing bonuses? Keep in mind, the NFL, it's a league rule. You have to hold 60% of that signing bonus in escrow, meaning yep. you have to have that cash uh, available to you. NFL teams are not that liquid, okay? Not, there's not a whole lot of organizations that just have $80 million in cash. I've talked to somebody that, if, if people remember uh, the, the Khalil Mack situation with the Raiders, the Raiders were cash poor. They didn't have the money to pay Khalil Mack. That's why they traded him. They literally did not have the cash on hand to save for a bonus, and he wasn't going to negotiate around the bonus. That's why they traded him. 
the Steelers can very simply say, look, we have these three picks. We're better off parlaying that into a better first round pick who's not going to be available for us at 17 and not have to worry about paying Pickett along with uh, uh, two second round picks as well as the first round pick. We can stagger this out a little bit easier and get a player that we want more rather than throwing three darts at the board. I, to me, I think that makes sense. I, again, I, and I want to ask your thoughts here on, on Paris Johnson too. Paris Johnson is not my favorite player at nine. You know, assuming I think it's fair to, to reasonably assume he'll be there at nine. He's not my favorite player at that spot. Probably, I, I think I'd find other players uh, to, to be better options, my opinion, for, for this deal. But I could totally see why the Steelers uh, would want to go along with that. Luke, what are your thoughts on Johnson as a player? Do you see him as a, a day one starter uh, who can excel? Maybe not Tristan Wirfs, but is is he a guy that can come in and play an uh, a, a adequate level on an offensive line in the scheme like the Steelers his rookie season? Yeah, I, I think he is. And and again, he's a guy I've had at, at OT1, if you will, for, for quite a while now. I, I, there's been some shuffling behind him. Uh, with those next three guys, but he nobody's ever knocked him off that spot for me. And and for me, it's his resume is success at right tackle, success even at guard, and success at left tackle against a lot of really really good edge rushers in the Big Ten. Right, he was facing some really good talent on a weekly basis. There's nothing physically or athletically that I feel like he's deficient. I feel like he's got the size, the length, the athleticism, and again experience on both sides as well as guard. He's he's tested with a lot of reps against top competition in all of those spots. So when you put that together with the athleticism and the, the, the fact that there's really no physical flaw there, I, I see a guy who's polished and, and, and ready to, to start at either tackle spot. Obviously in Pittsburgh, I would assume that would be on the left side where they'd have the biggest upgrade. But I mean, that's part of it to me too, is, is the, you know, the baseball thing wins above replacement, right? If you're, if you're putting a guy like that over Dan Moore, which you and I have discussed before, Neil, I, I feel like the, the, the jump at that premium position for the Steelers is worth taking a guy like uh, like Johnson there at nine. I know Christian Gonzalez is probably a guy that would be high on your list um, at that spot as well. Um, but no, I'm super comfortable with Paris Johnson. If, if I'm at nine, whether I'm Chicago or, or Pittsburgh or anybody, if he gets to nine and, and that's what I need, uh, I'm perfectly fine making him the first tackle off the board. Why don't you jump in for the listeners and fans to your – I know you just recently did a three-round mock, I believe. Why don't you jump into that, the players that you have mocked to the Steelers in that? Oh, geez, I'm going to have to go back and remember. I've done a, I've done a two-rounder since then when the Rodgers trade went down. So, Well, jump into that, wh- wh- whichever you remember. Let's see. I'm going to have to pull this up. Give me a minute. And that's the interesting what thing is – uh, it's so challenging. I mean, just looking for mocks, you know, Neil messes with me all the time when I'm trying to look for mock drafts. He's like, Google search it. I'm like, Neil, when I Google search a mock draft, there's, there's, there's 50 mock drafts. Well, he but... couldn't find yours, Luke, and I said, just Google that in his name. He said it didn't come up. I did it. I'm like, it's right here. Hey, it's a, I, I paid. I, it's a prank. I paid. I... Strength. We're, we're getting there. Talk to right, us next right. year. <laughs> So the latest one, I mean, I can't, I can't not give them Joey Porter Jr. if he's there, right? If he gets to, to 17, especially if the top tackles are off the board, I can't, I can't stop myself from giving them Peter Porter over and over and over and over again. I know it's boring, but it's just too good of a fit. I love it. Um, and then in the second round, Neil and I, you've discussed, you and I have discussed Keon White already. 
Um, but but he's the guy I still have for them at 32 in that scenario. Uh, but after that, it's Anton Harrison, the offensive tackle from Oklahoma, who the closer we get to the draft, the more I believe that he is not going to get anywhere near uh, the second, the, the midpoint of the second round. Um, so I'm not sure how you guys I, feel about I him. I'm a pretty big fan. But he's not. I, I think it, it, Harrison fits more of what the Steelers would want in a tackle, in both in terms of his makeup and his game, as well as the fact that they don't draft tackles in the first round. So I, right. I, I could see that as all things being equal, that's a reasonable target for them if they do keep uh, the two positions. But then, like you know, I, I don't want to keep harping on the same thing. But if, if if that is the scenario they get into, and let's say they go cornerback and tackle with their first two picks and throw in the linebacker as well. You know, whatever order you want to put those three players. With right. Pickett and his extension, it's going to kick in. Cash-wise, that's the year they're going to pay Pickett. Cash. That's three players on extension at premium positions. They're not going to be able to afford it. It, it just I'm convinced of that. They want to deal one of their picks. I, 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 I don't find a way around that. I think Harrison's a great player. If they have to go chalk, though, and they have to draft the spots they're at, it makes sense. But it, it's, it's a rent-a-player. You know, a, they're going to let them battle it out. But there's only going to be two contracts available, and Pickett's getting one of them. So Yeah, be- best-case scenario, those guys all deserve contracts, and you can't give them to them. Right? <laughs> like that's, that's what you want to happen because you want them to be good players. The interesting thing with Harrison is, is, again, the closer I get to the draft, the more I understand about what the Bucks want to do. I wouldn't count him out at 19. I, I really think that if the other tackles are off the board and the Bucks can't move down from 19, Harrison could go top 20. So if we're talking about getting that. him in the second round, it, it would be a, a bargain compared to what I think his market value will be tomorrow night. Premium position too. Keep that in mind. You know, we, we and he's going to be 21. He's going to be 21 yeah. his whole rookie year. He's a young yep. guy. He's athletic. The film shows you know, enough. There are Steelers definitely some rooms. Yeah, there's, got, there's room for improvement, but he's a nasty dude, man. He's athletic. He's physical, plays through the whistle. It, he's the type of guy that an O-line coach will be like, please get me that guy, get him in the building. I'll fix the little stuff. He's got stuff I can't teach. I, I want that guy at left tackle. Yep, I agree with that. I, I if, if, if the Steelers go chalk, that wouldn't surprise me. You know, it, it's, I agree in the sense too, though, that that's a pretty tantalizing option for a late first round pick. If you want to yep. put investment behind that, which is what teams are doing uh, when they draft in the first round, you're looking at, we can't miss. So it's not necessarily about the ceiling. It's about the floor. And he's right. the kind of guy that's got a nice ceiling, but his floor is pretty high. If yep. you want to invest 25, 26, 27 in, in a draft in which there's maybe 18 first round guys, yep. that's, that's a pretty nice bet. You can see why a team would do that. Um, that's what's kind of fun about the Steelers having 32 overall. You get the opportunity to kind of say, look, we're going to get uh, a guy that normally would get a 50-year option, but teams are going to pass on him because they don't necessarily want to uh, go for a higher ceiling type of guy, which is why I think uh, Keon makes a lot of sense. Um, A higher ceiling, maybe not quite ready, but uh, a guy that's got a, a hell of a lot of upside you don't need to worry about that 50 year option. You know, if he works out, you're going to have to sign him earlier, but if he doesn't, you're not in, in a real tough spot financially. But right. point being Harrison, totally a guy I could see going to the late twenties plays a premium position. There are not many of those guys walking around the earth. So to, yep. to say this guy's a great third round prospect at offensive tackle usually doesn't add up that way. They, they've got nope. 
fairly significant flaws if they fall that far. And that's usually what, you know, why there are eight tackles typically taken in the first 50 picks. You know, it's a valuable position because there aren't many of them. You got to get the guys that can play now uh, and build them up. Who's the guy you want if they go to nine? Both of you guys, who, who would you want if, if they make the move? Who's the guy that like, thank you. That's worth it. I, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't dug enough into what the, the scenarios would be. Cause I don't think Gonzalez should be on the board at nine either. No, but what, what are the odds that you've got Gonzalez and Witherspoon gone before nine, the first eight picks? It's pretty, I mean, especially especially with Vegas and, and Atlanta right ahead of that pick. I, yeah. I think they both of them make sense right there. Yeah, I would want whoever they have as their number one or number two corner. I would want a cornerback at that selection at nine just because of the direct impact that a corner has in points in minimizing points directly uh, that the, their impact directly in the passing game. You can, you can say a plus B equals C. If I have a good corner, we can limit the passing game. I want the direct impact. And also I think at the nine position, you got to draft a spot that's going to play roughly 850 snaps. Yeah, I mean, you got to look at your roster and say, we've got to plug in a player that's going to play this amount of snaps. I think you look at the Steelers and we, me and Neil have talked about it numerous times about, uh, how the Steelers roster, how it's going to look in the future at the cornerback position. I would hope that you would get a corner at that number nine position if you moved up. I know that there is a ton of value in getting rid of less Dan, Dan less, less Dan. not more. Uh, but but still, Dan, um, you know, I, I would want a cornerback at that position. Mm-hmm. Whoever they thought was uh, the best cornerback, uh, their number one, number two, depending on how they had them ranked. Um, I would want a cornerback at nine. Yeah, that makes I, sense. Both both of those two guys are top eight overall for me. So I think either one of them being there, I think Gonzalez is probably the better fit for what they want need at the position. But I think either way, I, I think either of those guys, if they happen to fall there, would be perfect. I think you're in a tough spot either way as a team if you need to trade up to draft somebody uh, to replace the biggest hole that you have. That suggests strongly yeah, yeah. That, that you have a problem. Uh, to be fair, Mike Tomlin uh, reiterated in his pre-draft press conference he didn't feel that they had any glaring needs. I don't know if I agree with that, but I know that Mike <laughs> Tomlin has a, a lot of reason uh, to not reveal anything honest. Right, it's right. the biggest, you know. Pardon my language, but it's it's the most bullshit press conference every year. They're they're, yeah. they're incentivized to not be honest, so it's almost like you're better off going against everything they said. You're going to get a more accurate projection of where they really, what they feel they really are, are doing. And there is something to be said, to be fair. And nobody, nobody has a tougher time resisting a Dan less joke than me. Okay. There is some, some wisdom in saying they are not necessarily drafting for the sake of the immediate term. You want to build up a core you have to have a, a, a practical approach to it in three-year increments. It, regardless of how good some in here, as I've seen in the comments somehow, uh, or the Steelers feel about Dan Moore, you're not paying Dan Moore market value, okay? You're just not. Let's, let's not even try to argue about that. That's, that's ridiculous. He probably is not your long-term starter. So at what point do you get a, a replacement for him? You're going to need to do that. He's in his third year. Okay. 
I think he improved maybe a little bit last year, but I don't think he's very good. I don't think I want to watch him for a third year to see whether he figures it out. So at some point you need to bring in a replacement. If that's immediate, great. You know, if you're going to go all in, go all in. I think that's kind of what they're saying. If they want to go offensive tackle, trade up for an offensive tackle, which is weird, by the way, that that's not common uh, in, in the first round to get a, a to trade up what eight spots to, to draft a non scoring or non quarterback hitting position. I don't know how much I like that, but I know that I don't really like Dan Moore a whole lot and they could probably uh, improve in that. Even if Mike Tomlin doesn't think they have any glaring holes, uh, their opposition knows they have glaring holes. So yeah. it, we saw it all last season. Cornerback though, long-term is a much bigger viable need. They have one guy signed next season. That's Patrick Peterson. Patrick Peterson is Luke's age. Okay, I don't know how often they can really think that that he's going to factor in. They're going to draft a cornerback, and if if that's Joey Porter at seventeen, which seems to be kind of the consensus, if they're taking in that spot, if they move up and somehow uh, Gonzalez is available, if they take him, he is a guy like Lance said, uh, who could play eight hundred and fifty snaps. You can get the cornerback on the field a lot more often than you can get the tackle. The tackle, let me rephrase that. What I mean by that is the tackle, is it, it's a binary decision. It's black and white. You either draft the guy uh, and start him or you don't. He's not playing a whole lot of snaps, barring injury, if he's not your immediate starter. You don't yep. have to, to start. In, in fact, the offensive line quarterback are probably the only positions in the NFL that matter if you start anymore the off, because they don't leave the field when, when they have the ball. So your tackle is all or nothing for the most part, barring injury. Your cornerback, though, can play in a lot of different situations. They can use that, that piece a lot more aggressively across everything. And Gonzalez can be used in a lot of ways uh, without him having to be a starter. And I, I think the value of him as a player is higher than Paris Johnson, in my opinion. I think he's, he's going to be better at cornerback than Johnson is at left tackle. But it, I, I, it's a great problem to have. OK, I would I would love to know that they debated this while on the clock on draft night, because there, there are great reasons to draft either one of them. Everyone's going to have their preferences. I have mine. I'm not going to cry if they do trade up and draft Paris Johnson. I'm not going to cry if they draft Joey Porter at, at 17 either. Also not my favorite player for for what's likely to be available at that spot. But there's definitely a need and they need to, to get developing a cornerback if that's 17 overall if that's 32 overall if it's 49 whatever they need to do that before we get you out of here luke i want to jump into uh, i want you to address that question there from ollie howard species 5618 and we heard a lot uh about malik willis last year uh the question is is joey porter jr this year's Malik Willis is, and is I'm Joey ass- Porter Jr. a better quarterback prospect than Malik Willis? I think that's really. <laughs> and and I'm assuming what Ali Howard is pointing to is a lot of excitement and hype around Malik Willis last year. Uh, that he was the guy that the name that was that was big that was kind of resonating. Uh, what's your thoughts on that question? Uh-huh. And then after that, I want to jump into a mock. And you tell me if you think this mock draft is a solid one for the Steelers. What's your thoughts on that question, though? Yeah, well, one last thing on the tackles, too, and, and I don't know if you guys agree. It, it could play out that if the, if the Steelers are comfortable with enough tackle prospects on day two and they say to ourselves, 
we could still wait and still upgrade the position because it's it's whoever we get in the second round is still going to be better than Dan Moore and still give us an opportunity to upgrade. I don't know if that gets in the conversation at all. We don't have to take it at nine or 17 in order to upgrade this premium position. I don't know if that'll be part of the conversation, but it's something that just came to mind. Um, Porter, I really like Joey Porter Jr. I, I think he got better this year at not being quite so grabby. That was kind of his thing, right? He was very physical, used the length and used the size, but a bit too much, which we see from the bigger physical corners all the time at the college level. We, When we project them, we're like, hey, they're going to have to learn to to be successful without that much contact because the NFL is just not going to allow it. I saw, I, I saw improvement in that department this past season, so that gives me a bit more hope. And, and again, it's just guys who play that position, who have that size, that length, and, and again, when you throw in the fact that obviously his dad played at the game, he's going to have an understanding of how to operate as a pro. Um, I don't I don't see him as a guy who's who's falling to me, a, again, in, in terms of how I evaluate things, whether the league feels that way or not, um, whether he goes from a guy that the, the Steelers could consider at 17 to a guy who could be there for them at 32, I'm not quite sure. But, you know, he's a top 15 player in this draft for me because I, I just feel that confident in his physical tools, in the mentality that he plays the game with. He plays corner like his dad played linebacker. And, and again, as long as you can avoid the penalties, I love that. I want him. I want that guy at that position at that size. So I, I like I like him as a prospect. I, again, he would be under consideration for me at 17. But if he's there at 32, that would be huge. When you said that he plays corner like his dad played, I, I thought immediately of Cleveland uh, you know, slamming somebody at Cleveland to start William the game. William Green. <laughs> yes. The, the, the pride of Boston College. <laughs> William Green. The, the Porter versus Green fight is what launched James Harrison's career. And I, I like Joey Porter, but I was huge on James Harrison just from, from preseason games that you saw of him. Clueless. But when, when he got in and made plays, you absolutely love the guy. It, it's it's instructive to know because Porter was the the big bad trash talker, and I don't know how much smarter he was than Harrison anyway. And Harrison eventually took his job and and achieved a lot more than Porter did. Let me give you this mock, Luke, before we get out of here. And this is fan of the program, Jerry Jones. Pick up Jerry. Uh, this is his this is his picks. These are his picks. His picks. Uh, number one, he agrees with you, Porter Jr. Uh, number two, and I think this includes no trades. He has John Michael Schmitz. Um, he also has Anton Harris, Zach Harrison, and Jonathan Mingo. What do you think about those selections? I mean, I'll start at the back because Mingo is the name that really jumps out to me as a Steeler guy. I think he is he is a very Steeler receiver, 6'2", 225, can, can line up outside, can line up as a big slot. Um, that That makes sense. That fits. I think he's a second round guy, though. I don't think he's getting to the third, uh, partly because top 10, top 15. If you look at the top 10, top 15 receivers on really any ranking sheet, so many of those guys are tiny, really, really small guys. And Mingo, maybe Cedric Tillman and Quentin Johnston are really the only top 10, top 15 receivers in this draft that are above six foot and above 190. So I think Mingo supply and demand is going to say that Jonathan Mingo is going to go a lot earlier in the third round, in my opinion. Um, but I think he'd be a hell of a fit in Pittsburgh. I think, I think that's a, a very, very stealer pick. Harrison, uh, both of the Harrisons, again, we talked about Anton earlier. Zach Harrison, I think, is a bit underrated at this point coming out of Ohio State. He's big. He's physical. He's more of a, more of a base 4-3 end than a drop and cover 
you know, three, four edge guy. So I'm not sure how they would use him uh, to make the most of his tools, but he's big. He's long guy. He's physical. He can hold the run. I um, think he's a better power run defender guy than, a, than an athletic pass rusher. But um, again, if we're talking, you know, day, late day two, third round, I'm, I'm super comfortable with that. Um, and then uh, who was John Michael Schmitz again, centers, are are not sexy picks but man he's he's one of the best football players in the draft i think i think i have Steelers him in- love not being sexy <laughs> yeah why, you know i mean why they I have think multiple I have him, hall of fame centers yeah i have him at 26 overall i think and i think he's the best pure center in the draft um again that's that's a pick that on on draft day you're gonna get like eh, i guess it's fine and then 10 years down the line when you've never had to worry about the center position you realize oh that was a damn good pick all right that's fine that's that's what you want from your center, and I think John Michael Schmitz is a, a plug and play day one starter that you'll be able to forget about for the next decade. And with his name, you could have just the ads around John Jacob Jingleheimer. Please don't do that. <laughs> that would be awesome. This is insulting to the legendary Gophers player. <laughs> that would be awesome as an ad campaign, but Luke. Want to thank you for hopping into the program. Please let people know um, in this busy 48 hours for you, 72 hours, busy next four days, where can they find all of your stuff? I mean, it's super complicated on social media. It's at Luke Easterling on Twitter. Um, <laughs> and then obviously come over to Athlon Sports. We're going to have a ton of great content all throughout the draft, all leading up to the draft. We've already got some stuff up there. I've got uh, nine burning questions heading into the draft. Like I said, I had a fresh two-round mock draft right after the, the Rodgers trade to reflect the new draft order. Um, we're going to have all the all the rumors, all the news, all the notes coming through the draft. After the draft, we'll be breaking everything down in real time every night uh, and every morning when it when everything starts anew. We'll have, we'll have all kinds of analysis from every angle. So come on over to Athlon Sports. Go to the Facebook page. Like the Facebook page. Follow us on Twitter, Athlon Sports, uh, and, and check out all the cool stuff we're, we're pumping out there this weekend. Luke will Thanks. be prominently featured on Sports Illustrated as well as part of their draft coverage team. So uh, look at both spots. He's he's uh, he's gonna have a long weekend. We're uh, we're gonna run him into the ground. It's probably nobody else working harder. Let's go in the draft than than Mr. Luke Easterling. Thank you once again, Luke, for hopping on. <clears throat> My pleasure, guys. Enjoy the weekend. So Neil, without further ado, with the seventeenth overall selection in the draft. The Pittsburgh Steelers select. Oh, it's tough. I it, it's it's so hard to make these picks simply because we don't know who's going to be there. You know, there, there's always a surprise or two. I think chalk is Porter. Um, I I'm not as big on Porter as as many are, and I, I think a lot of the hype that he gets is because of who his dad is. Not to to downgrade him as a player, but he's not. I, I don't think he's a great schematic fit. I really don't. I, I don't. He's not fluid enough to, to to carry guys inside. If he's purely playing cover three, why are you drafting him 17 overall? Yeah. I, I don't know if it fits. Um, so I don't like that. Uh, Darnell Wright uh, would probably be my you know overarching guess, and that that's because I feel like he would be the best value at the position of need. Uh, when they go on the clock that that I'm going to go with that Darnell Wright, Tennessee offensive tackle. Just for, uh, I, I I'm terrible at cliches with something in giggles. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm terrible at cliches again. I'm, I'm going to go with Porter jr. I, I think they go with corner. Uh, 
just because of the roster composition currently and the direct impact that a solid corner can have on the passing game. I think a critical need uh, is eliminating, is trying to reduce the number of touchdown passes that they gave up last year, which again was ranked 30th in the National Football League. So I think they go into that direction and bring Joey Porter Jr. in. Let me ask you this though, Neil. Because uh, Jim Wexel, friend of the program, so astutely points out, did they have dinner with Joey Porter Jr. and Wright? I don't know. I don't follow okay. dinners. I, you, I, you know I, what? Because that, that's just interesting how it works out. But it does make sense that if you're going to take a guy in the first round, you do want to break bread with him and sit. Yes, but it's not up to you either. You know. Yes. The, the, it, I get Tomlin's the cool one. They all love Tomlin. Uh, he probably pulls more than his fair share of the top guys uh, to, to go out to dinner with for a pro day. Just because they didn't, though, doesn't mean they aren't interested. They just, no, the no, guy sure. might have gone somewhere else. I don't, I don't know. I would hate that. If it was me, I would feel so pressured of who to choose to go to dinner with. And you're pissing somebody off. You're going to get everybody thinking something that, that isn't tangible at all. Um, as the player, you don't have any choice. It doesn't matter. I mean, what what are you basing your, your selection on? For me, obviously, I would go out to dinner with Mike Tomlin, but he has to offer me. Let's say that he right. does. It doesn't have any bearing on whether or not they're going to pick him. You know, it, it's just, it isn't connected. If they are requesting to have dinner with him, they're interested in him. Going to dinner with him doesn't mean then they get their interest. It's not like it's a blind date. And they could go to Permanis too. Well, yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, if Tomlin took me to Permanis and I'm a top prospect in, in the NFL, if, if he offered Permanis, I'm turning him down. There's no way. <laughs> going to Ditka's coach, I'm not going to freaking Permanis. Or at least Peppy's, because uh, Peppy's is, Peppy's I, is the best. I'm, I'm the, one of the few Pittsburgh people that really just does not like Permanis at all. Yeah, Peppy's is the better sandwich anyway. Ask any North Side guy. He'll prefer Peppy's. But I think that was a fantastic show, Neil. And, and as always, I think we're going to try to do it like we did last year. I think yeah, we're going to just... You want to go on the clock? Yeah, we're just going to we're just gonna be on, right? Yeah. We're gonna do Let's, we'll, we'll, how about this? We'll, we'll tell the audience this. Our aim will probably be... We will be ready around the eighth pick if they announce the trade this is just a very Steelers like thing to do what will happen is after the eighth pick is made the clock will be running for the Bears the 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 the, the trade flag will come up Goodell will announce that there was a trade the Steelers will make that pick maybe six seconds after it so it, we will jump on after if there is a trade just because of the spontaneity of the situation will not give us the ability to, to be on when it happens. Uh, but we will go live around the 15th pick if the sealers are, are staying home. So write that down. I'll, I'll probably tweet it a little bit more eloquently than what I just said it. So uh, yes, we will definitely be on. And then uh, day two, um, they got those two picks. We'll, we'll just have to be on at the start of the show. Uh, as we know right now, they will make the first pick in the second round, which is 32 overall this year. And that, I believe, starts 7 Eastern. Um, what is that then? Don't, 4 don't, Pacific. God, yeah, that would be nice. Be. You bastards. Yes. You West Coast people. It's, yes. That's 7 Eastern for the second and third round. Absolutely sucked. I'm, I'm happy to be on Central Time again. And I was last year, and that's when I was dying of COVID 
during the draft. If you go back and look yes. at that film, I don't look yes. healthy at all. Yes, I'm, yes, I'm in I trouble. <laughs> when they drafted Pickens, though, that was phenomenal. Let's hope for that again this year, Lance. Yes, let's hope that uh, less Dan, Dan, yeah, less Dan, Dan Moore, Moore is going to announce the, the <laughs> pick of the tackle. Let's, let's, if that let's... happens, oh man, we'll, we will go live if that happens. I promise you, we will. Yes, we will. We will. But I want to echo the sentiments of Allie Howard Species 5618. Stay safe, Sealer family. And as always, tune in, tell a friend, and subscribe.